Did you know that FreshBooks is the number two small business accounting software in America? Did you know that FreshBooks now does double entry accounting? Did you know that FreshBooks offers accuracy, compliance, tools, and reporting that you need to properly advise and work with your clients? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, FreshBooks, later in the episode. And I just want to address this calling people dumb comment. I think it's because I said I was speaking in general about bubbles, right? And the way it usually works is you got a bunch of smart people who realize the end is coming and get out before everybody else. And in that respect, you've got smart people and you've got dumb people. But I'm not trying to call our listeners dumb. And I'm not saying if you invest in crypto, you're dumb. What I mean by that is that there's a lot of people investing in it that are not aware of the risks and are not that they don't see it as gambling because they've bought into this crypto.com bullshit advertising. Oh, I'm brave if I invest in crypto. I am on the cutting edge if I invest in crypto. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Good morning, David. Good morning. Another week, another week. Yeah. We're into February now. Yeah, we're past 1099s, W2s, everybody, hopefully. You're not working on those still. (laughs) We got a lot of listener feedback this week, David. I have five messages. No, yeah, five messages this week from listeners. And some of them are just amazing. I have a timesheet story. Do you remember... In a recent episode, I asked our listeners to send me their timesheets stories because... Because there's a big argument. Everybody's like, nobody loves timesheets. And you're like, please tell me your stories of lying on timesheets. Well, it's not everybody. It's Ed Mendlowitz says nobody lies on timesheets. And ever since I interviewed him on my Earmark podcast and he said that, I have to disprove it. One of our listeners sent in this a story. It's on Twitter account. It could be like an automated thing. Like every time somebody lies on their timesheet, their tweet goes out. If we get enough of these. So um, maybe we could kick things off with this story. You ready for it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this was an email I received and I have text to speeched it using AI-based software and not fake oh, AI. So it doesn't have to be you reading it or I reading it. It'll right. sound like a person. Well, and let's see. It, wipe that from your memory and pretend that you didn't know that and see if you can tell. Okay. You asked for timesheet stories. Here's mine. I am a fundamentally honest person, but when I worked for a large public accounting firm in downtown Dallas, I became a chronic liar because timesheets had to be filled out and budgets had to be met. When I started, I would almost always exceed the allotted time budget for any given tax return project. And as you can imagine, this got me into trouble. So I did everything I could to fix that shortcoming and meet the project budgets. I interviewed multiple other employees to ask for tips. I made multiple changes to my habits and procedures and the way I prepared and reviewed returns. This helped. I got faster, but it wasn't enough. I still couldn't meet most project budgets. It was frustrating. Did management allow any leeway? I remember one manager explaining that while his budgets were aggressive, I was still expected to meet them. Every time, eventually, I started lying on my timesheets and overworking myself. I would spend eight hours on a project and report six and a half. If I needed 50 billable hours in a week, I would work 60 and report 50, not even getting paid for the other 10. Each day, I wrote down on a notepad my actual time spent on each project. But before recording it in the system, I carefully considered it in the context of each project budget and I would move time from one project to another depending on what each project budget could accommodate. My timesheets amounted to a combination of truth and lies that had to be invented to give management the impression that reality indeed conformed to their fantasies about how long a project should take. 
I wondered if this was what it was like to be a Soviet bureaucrat falsifying reports to conform to impossible quotas handed down from on high by party leaders. Through multiple tax seasons of this, I became exhausted and demoralized and a little resentful towards management. When I got some negative feedback after one rough busy season, I decided I had had enough, and within two weeks, I had found a new job. Public accounting is terrible. It's terrible because of the hours. But it's also terrible because the hours are billed and timesheets are the reform required. That's it. Wow. My guess is that that's not a unique story. No. That's what's nuts about our profession. Lawyers are notorious for padding their hours and overbilling clients to make more money. In the accounting profession, we encourage our employees to underbill in order to meet insane targets for budgets. Who does that help? It helps nobody. We don't make more money and they have to lie to us because it incentivizes that. You know who gets promoted? The people who always make their budget. You measure something, people will figure out how to meet that measurement. It doesn't matter how much ethics training you give them, if the system is set up to reward unethical behavior, that's what you'll get. I, I love that quote. It felt like being in a Soviet bureaucracy. <laughs> that's how messed up our way of running accounting firms is traditionally with hours and timesheets. It is Kafka-esque. I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That was an anonymous story. If you would like to tell us your timesheet story, whether it's about you or about a colleague, send it to me. Blake at BlakeOliver.com. You can record a voice memo and send it to me. That is the preferred method. But if you prefer to write it out, we now have this amazing technology that allows me to recreate your voice in an anonymous fashion. voicemail, put that on your timesheet somewhere. Bill it to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Then, then the partner will uh, go read this or listen to this episode. So that was my, f I think my favorite voicemail or email because it was very, very well written too. I, I just love the analogy. And our profession doesn't have to be like this, right? Like, like accounting can be a great, wonderful profession. We just make it suck with our management techniques. And there's a lot of firms that aren't doing this anymore. I mean, not a lot in terms of a percentage of the profession, but you know, five to 10% of firms have figured out how to drop the timesheets. But the big ones, man, they are going to take forever. Generational changes need to happen. Anyway, we've got too much to talk about this week, so I wanted to move on to some other stuff. I've got more listener mail. Would you like to do that now, or do you want to come back to it? I have a one that can drop us into kind of news follow-up a little bit, but it wasn't a mail. It was a tweet. It was a private message, but essentially somebody asked about Cash App taxes. She didn't know that Cash App was in the tax game. Wait, Cash App is in the tax game? Did we talk about this? Yeah. So Cash App- This is the Square Cash App. They okay. bought- the Credit Karma tax product when Intuit bought Credit Karma. Oh, because the feds said you can't buy, they told Intuit you can't buy Credit Karma unless you divest the tax product for competitive yeah. reasons. So there's something about TurboTax and Cash App and crypto that has been weighing on my mind this week. I don't know if you saw, TurboTax made an announcement yes, that they're going to team up with Coinbase. When you get your refund now, so I filed my taxes on TurboTax, which I'm not because remember, I am using tax organizers and working with a firm. You hired a firm. I hired a firm. <laughs> but if I was to use TurboTax, at the end, I have my refund. I could choose to deposit my bank account. I could choose to have the IRS mail me a paper check, lots of different ways to get that money. Well, now there's another option where I can deposit my refund into my Coinbase account. Then I have the ability to withdraw it from Coinbase, I'm assuming, or I could use it 
and instantly buy one of 100 plus cryptocurrencies. Many, many fun ways to spend that money. I was kind of thinking just in general, rewinding a little bit when we were talking about how TurboTax and H&R Block are no longer in the IRS's fee file program. And we deep dived on their websites a little bit about how you can file for free, but you have to do the, it's called a simple return. Yeah. And as soon as you sell crypto, you no longer have a simple return. Correct. So I almost feel like so many people that arguably have simple returns, the whole generation, right? Traditional like college kid, et cetera, right? Probably didn't have crypto, but so many do now. So what was simple returns are not going to be simple returns. And it's almost like, is TurboTax and HR Block a step ahead of everybody else in this? And then I was thinking about Cash App because Cash App pushes you to buy crypto right inside the app. I think I did it on the episode last week, right? About a dollar worth of crypto. Right, right, yeah. And so I was thinking, okay, well, what about their tax product? And from what I can tell, all the forms you need to do a crypto return, it seems like they support. Now, they don't support other situations. Like if you have multi-states and things like that, you can't use their product at all. So they don't have a paid tier. I can't find a paid tier. Mm -hmm. But I was just kind of thinking about this game that the more people buy crypto with Square, chances are they're probably going to have to pay Intuit and H&R Block to get their taxes done, right? Or obviously hire firms, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Just to wrap this whole like thought process up and I'll let you comment. I was actually thinking about my own situation because, you know, I've on the show here, I've bought in total now $112 in crypto or something. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to put this on my taxes. But there is a new bill being introduced. It's a bipartisan bill that's being introduced. It's called the Virtual Currency Tax Fairness Act. And basically the summary of that bill is it's going to exempt virtual currency if it's under $200 or less, the gains. The tracking for everybody doesn't make sense. And the IRS doesn't have the ability to do this, but it keeps it high enough where if they have to go after real people, they want to chase, they can. Mm -hmm. So uh, so it kind of pulls us in, but I'm just, this whole crypto thing is really going to separate the simple returns from the other returns. Yeah. Intuit's paying attention to it. Their CEO, Sasan Gudarzi, was quoted saying that a lot of people are going to be really surprised this year that they owe a lot of tax, but they didn't make a lot of money because there was the crypto dip. I think that was at the end of last year. Was that? Or was that at the beginning of this year? I think we're in it. I think we're still in the crypto dip. <laughs> you know, because of the way it's treated for tax purposes, a lot of people, they bought it high, they sold it low, and I don't know, they were trading the whole time. So they're going to owe tax because of the exchange. Every time you exchange crypto for crypto, you know, it's not the same coin. You got to pay tax on the gain and all that. So yeah, a lot of people are going to owe this year. They're not going to be happy. It's going to be a problem. You know what sucks is that so many people are getting drawn into crypto and it's just not a good place to be as an investor. Like it, it's great. You know, hey, if, if you want to go out and YOLO your money on crypto and you have lots of financial resources and you're not putting too much of that into them, you know, maybe it's 5%, it's great. Good for you. But there are so many people out there now who are like putting all of their savings into crypto, betting on hitting it big. It's gambling. Actually, Godarzi calls it gambling in this article <laughs> that he's quoted in. Quote, we're going to see a lot of that throughout tax season, where folks just don't understand what they did. And there's a lot of millennials that did a lot of trading without knowing what the implications are. They are shocked as to how much money they've lost or how much they owe because they were, in essence, gambling with their money. So in the meantime, CEO of Intuit, who's also CEO of TurboTax, right? Mm -hmm. TurboTax is out there giving out the candy. Oh, right? helping, They're making yeah. it. It's kind of a conflicting thing. Now, I can tell you, historically speaking, Intuit always kind of tries these things out. And then if they don't feel ethical, they wind up pulling back on it. They used to do those prepaid cards, right? You could get your refund turned into a Best Buy gift card or something. They kind of got out of that. Do you remember the olden days? Like every time you bought software, you had to get all those refunds. 
Yeah. You had the rebates yeah. and you have to mail yeah. the receipts and the barcode and so many people didn't do it. But Intuit was like one of the leaders on that. But then Intuit also was on leaders who stopped doing that. And then H&R Block and Intuit both used to give out those uh, early loans for huge fees for your refund. Intuit got out of that. Let's know? not forget what we were talking about last year and the year before, which is Intuit hiding the free file program yes, from search exactly. engines yeah. so that people who are low income couldn't find it and file their taxes for free. This is what happens. Giant corporations are evil by nature. <laughs> They s- exist to make money and they will figure out how to make money however they can within the parameters of the law. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Accounting practice management software should bring together all your firm's mission critical functions in one place client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. Canopy knows that not all firms are on the same practice management journey or timeline. So Canopy lets you build your practice management platform as you need it. You start with client management as your foundation, then you choose the modules that your firm needs. And since nobody likes paying for modules they don't use, they offer modular pricing as well. Canopy integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, form builders, spreadsheets, calendars, email, and Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. Via their integration with the IRS, you can easily retrieve all your clients' transcripts, notices, and child tax care credit payments without leaving Canopy. To try Canopy free for 30 days, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. You know what? I want to keep this on blockchain though. And I want to ask, have you heard the Matt Damon crypto.com commercial? Yes, I've seen that. Okay. I just want to play this for people who haven't heard it because it's a minute long and this shows you just where we're at with cryptocurrency right now. History is filled with almosts, with those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, but ultimately for them it proved to be too much. Then there are others, the ones who embrace the moment and commit. And in these moments of truth, these men and women, these mere mortals, just like you and me, as they peer over the edge, they calm their minds and steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. So that is an ad for Crypto.com, which, by the way, also named a stadium. Isn't the the stadium in L.A. now named Crypto.com Stadium? I think it's one of them, yes. I mean, SoFi has one. There's, I mean, there's so many stadiums. Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles, home of the Los Angeles Kings and the L.A. Lakers. So I have an interview that I did on my other show, the Earmark Accounting Podcast with Dr. Sean Stein-Smith, going back to what we talked about, crypto is a scam, in our episode about Tether. Go check that interview out because the more I dig into this, the more I do think that cryptocurrency prices have been propped up by a stable coin that is an $80 billion scam, an $80 billion fraud that is bigger than Bernie Madoff's. So if if there's going to be like a crash, crypto crash and a market adjustment caused by that, it's going to be stable coins not being stable. So we don't have time to talk about it on this episode because I could talk about it for 
an hour, which is almost what I did with Sean Stein Smith. He's the uh, CPA who is really knowledgeable about blockchain. Go check that out. I can pivot us off of Bitcoin. I have a nice transition ready if you, whenever you're ready to. I would love to, but we can't because we got a voicemail. Some of our listeners have not been too happy with our coverage of cryptocurrency because I get it. Like if, if you've bought into crypto and it fell by 50%, you know, you're probably not very happy, but I'm, I'm just telling you the way I see it. Okay. But we also want to offer all the points of view. So here's, here's an, a voicemail from one of our listeners who wasn't too happy with me. My name is uh, David. I'm a CPA in Austin and uh, just had a few comments on the recent show regarding, uh, you know, crypto is a fraud or whatever the title was. First off, you know, pricing, getting paid up front or after the fact or 50-50. Thought on it, I, I'm a big part of McFrayer. Our base people pay up front, right? That's easy. It's a brand you do that. But you guys saying that clients should pay up front in full or at least 50% for doing something like a tax return, it makes no sense. A lot of times you don't even know what you need to bill until the tax return is complete. And you know what kind of forms, file schedules, et cetera, what kind of work is going to go into the tax return. So filling up front, you can really shoot yourself in the foot. I would have answered other in that poll that y'all mentioned, and that would have been my comment. Again, you know, billing up front is just, you can really bill too little, too much. It's not a fair transaction based on my experience. Um, the other thing, you know, your comments about cryptocurrencies, stable coins, y'all obviously don't know enough about the space to, to comment as you do. Y'all are un uneducated as far as I'm concerned, referencing one article in regards to this. You can go to Coinbase, put cash, U.S. cash into it, and buy cryptocurrencies that they offer. You can sell them back into cash. Uh, it has nothing to do with stable coins, and stable coins crashing would do nothing to the crypto market in that regard to coins. So y'all really shouldn't be calling people dumb for making investment decisions into their cryptocurrency. Y'all aren't financial advisors either. Man, I really, truly enjoy the show usually, but this episode just rubbed me all the wrong ways. I'm not a big investor in cryptos at all. I'm very familiar with it. I read a lot of stuff on both sides of the coin in regards to negativity in the gloom and then a lot of upsides to it. And I just don't think y'all are educated enough to be speaking at the level y'all are and, and saying people are dumb for doing something like this. I know y'all didn't use the word dumb, but basically you did. And um, I think your words are going to come back to bite your ass. Again, I, I do have a lot of respect for you guys, but this episode really went me the wrong way. I just wanted to kind of give you my two cents on that. I do appreciate the show, but man, y'all blew this one. So I guess I've already been bitten in the ass. All my crypto investments are down 35%. Yeah. And I just want to address this calling people dumb comment. I think it's because I said I was speaking in general about bubbles, right? And the way it usually works is you got a bunch of smart people who realize the end is coming and get out before everybody else. And in that respect, you've got smart people and you've got dumb people, but I'm not trying to call our listeners dumb. And I'm not saying if you invest in crypto, you're dumb. What I mean by that is that there's a lot of people investing in it that are not aware of the risks and are not that they don't see it as gambling because they've bought into this crypto.com bullshit advertising. Oh, I'm brave if I invest in crypto. I am on the cutting edge if I invest in crypto. Well, every week there's a 15-year-old who made a bunch of money in crypto. Yeah, this is sales and marketing, okay? This is, it's hype, right? A lot of it is hype. No, I'm not saying blockchain is hype. I think blockchain is an amazing technology, but what is cropped up around it is the, these scams. So, so here's how we can prove this. 
I actually find the whole crypto microtransactions and micropayments very interesting. And yeah. we can spin up for our podcast, we can spin up a lightning node and people can go to newpodcastapps.com. They could get a new podcast app. Don't use Apple or Spotify or those apps. And you can actually, when you're listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, you could send us money. Right? We could eventually get rid of all sponsors if we wanted to and just have our support listeners send us crypto Satoshis through these podcast apps. Now it's a form of a transaction and not an investment on both sides. Yeah, that, that would be amazing if it was actually being used for that. My thought process on this is if we set this up, I don't see us getting a lot of uh, income <laughs> coming in from this just because I genuinely believe most people are buying crypto as an investment. They're not buying it as a means of a currency to actually use. I just wanted to address the uh, yeah. getting paid up front because I actually honestly forgot that that was in the voicemail. Yeah, that was kind of a separate. Yeah. And you know, I would say that um, there are ways to price up front. So that logic, I just don't understand that logic because to make that argument, you have to say that the customer cares about your cost. David, do you care how many hours it takes your, your accounting firm that you hired to do your tax return? No, but I can tell you right now, I've been getting work done on my house for the last 18 months and not once has the work been done and then I got a bill afterwards. I have to cut a check before they do a, they lift a finger every single time. Right. Like, so every other profession has figured out how to bill up front and accounting hasn't. Why do we do this to ourselves? It's the same thing with the tracking time. Why do we do this to ourselves? And there's plenty of ways uh, to price this up front and figure out what's fair. You could take all of your returns of a certain type. Let's say it's 1065s. Let's say you do a lot of 1065s or 1040s or whatever. Take all those returns and list out how much you charged each client for those returns. What you'll get is a range and you'll get an average and you'll get a median. Maybe you could bucket those clients into like three different types, big, medium, and small. And then you could just set a price. So if you're a big client, you need this return, it's this price. We charge you up front. And you know what? On average, it all works out. You could make more money doing it this way because people are willing to pay more when you guarantee them a result up front. People like fixed fees. Do you like getting billed hourly by your attorney? No, nobody likes that. That's why I work with an attorney who charges me a fixed fee for everything I do. Even attorneys are figuring this shit out. I apologize for the language, but I get passionate about this. Everybody else is doing this. David, I do want to say to our voicemail lever, thank you for your feedback. I'm sorry that you disagree with us. Actually, I'm not sorry that you disagree with us. It's totally fine. You can disagree with us all you want. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy the episode as much. You know, I think these are just some painful truths. This is how I feel. I say what I think. And I don't intend to call anyone dumb. I guess I mean, you know, they don't have knowledge. They don't have the knowledge they should. And we, as a profession, should be explaining this stuff to our clients. We should be aware of it so that if they are going to invest in crypto, they are aware of the risks, that they are betting on a speculative asset there is zero guarantee it's going to go up just because it's been going up. And here are the risks. And there's all these frauds they need to be aware of. The NFT scams, the rug pulling coin scams that are happening where people create a, a new cryptocurrency and then they get people to buy into it and then it disappears, pulling the rug out from under you. At some level, we probably talked about crypto too much. I think the media covers it too much. Let's put it in perspective. Crypto currency transactions across the board in 2021 were 15.8 trillion. A lot of that we know is just investment type transactions. It's not people buying goods and services. Crypto is hardly ever used for actual transactions right now. It's, it's speculative. Let's put this in perspective. Like at the consumer level, it is not being used to buy and sell stuff. The ACH network in 2021 
they just announced all their numbers. They process payments totaling $72.6 trillion. Yeah. Traditional payment methods are still how people are transacting. Those payments are goods and services. Yeah. Just the B2B ones alone was $50 trillion. The ACH is just the volume they do is just insane. Yeah. Meanwhile, IRS investigators seized $3.5 billion worth of crypto tied to financial crimes during 2021 alone. That was 93% of all the assets seized by the division in that time frame. Crypto is being used for crime, fraud, ransomware. I mean, ACH network, everything gets used for fraud. So I don't want to turn it like crypto is just a fraud tool. But Most of it, it's speculation and it's crime. You know, and meanwhile, the AICPA is out there. I, I heard somebody on a podcast talking about how, oh, we, we updated our cryptocurrency guide and it now has a glossary that has more definitions of cryptocurrency and what it is. This is not the important thing to be talking about. What the leaders of our profession should be talking about is here are all these stable coins that are unaudited. Here's this massive amount of fraud that's occurring. Oh, all the ransomware, by the way, that's crypto too. We are supposed to be, as a profession, helping people understand risks and be aware of all this stuff. And maybe people will call us wet blankets, but I think that's kind of what we're supposed to be as accountants is like bringing people back to reality. So again, if you're investing in crypto, just understand what you are doing, that you are speculating. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Recently, I chatted with Twyla Verhelst, director of the accountant channel over at FreshBooks, because I wanted to see what they've been up to. For those who don't know, FreshBooks was the first accounting software I used as a freelance bookkeeper back in 2011, so I've been really curious to see what's new. Turns out, a few years ago, FreshBooks launched a new platform that is now more than just invoicing. FreshBooks is now a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. FreshBooks also has your favorite app integrations, even some embedded ones like Gusto for payroll. And with the launch of their new accounting partner program, Twyla and the FreshBooks team are creating a platform and a partner experience that's showcasing that they're really listening to our feedback. If you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. FreshBooks. Work better together. Another way to move money around are paper checks. Oh, yeah. We're still doing it with half of our transactions here in the U.S. Every time I talk to somebody in the U.K. or Australia, I always you know, bring that up as like a fun stat about the U.S. Well, Deluxe, you know, Deluxe, the paper check company. Yeah. So they reported their uh, earnings and they had growth, 6% year-over-year growth. And their paper check segment is still growing year-over-year. But in their guidance- <laughs> Wait, how, how much is it growing? What does it say? Um, it's uh, 6%. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so it's, it's, it's keeping up with inflation. Yep, it's keeping up. So this is uh, their CEO, Barry McCarthy. He stated that for the first time in their 106-year history of printing paper checks, next year it's going to tip to where they will see their payments division equal their paper checks division. Their payments division or electronic payments is finally going to mm-hmm. catch paper checks in 2022. And then obviously it'll probably flip. That's going to be the peak and the tipping point. But still paper checks, lots and lots and lots. All right. I got another listener message. This one is about my haircut. <laughs> Sorry. Remember that? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Coming. I just didn't see that coming. You can laugh. You can laugh at me, David. I did not know we would get a voicemail about your haircut. I did not know that was uh, so thought provoking. I'm excited actually to hear this. We have a very interesting listener base. Take a listen to this. 
I had to laugh at the opening to this week's episode about being personally affected at the hair salon by the Great Resignation. I say this as a CPA and a hairstylist who took part in the Great Resignation. Out of college I went to work at Deloitte and got my CPA. It was not for me as I had always wanted to do hair. I quit, went to hair school and worked happily and successfully as an independent hairstylist up until 2020. With salon closures and restrictions due to COVID I ended up closing my salon studio, and reactivating my CPA license. I could probably name another dozen hairstylists who left the industry due to the restrictions and uncertainty so I have seen firsthand that there is a shortage of great stylists now. While I didn't end up going back to accounting, I did move out of state and am happily back behind the chair doing hair again. Keep up the great work with the podcast and if either of you are ever in Sarasota and need a fantastic haircut with a side of chatting about accounting look me up. Brittany Herbst, at Brits Highlights on Instagram. P.S. I'm super excited to start listening to Oh My Fraud. Thank you, Brittany, for that email, and I'm glad that uh, that you enjoyed that story. I- I'm actually uh, just smiling. I, like, just to make sure I'm summarizing this correctly. Was in the accounting industry, listened to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, left the accounting industry, still listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I love it, yeah. Worked wow. at Deloitte and decided... Brittany decided that hair was her passion and went into doing that. But then during COVID, used the CPA as a fallback. I mean, you could give tax advice as you're doing people's hair. You could ask them about their money situations. You could give out advice. Yeah. What if you had a firm where you did like, it was like H&R Block, this but you also did people's hair. This my tax organizer problem. Why don't you just ask me these questions while I'm getting my hair done? You bring in your shoebox and you get, you know, you get a blow dry or you get- Manicure, pedicure. You get the whole- yeah, oh, this is genius. That takes like three, four hours to get the whole work up. Yeah. And you could be answering questions the whole time you're sitting there. That'd be really funny. I would like that. I think people would do it. I got more listener mail, but I feel like I should give you a chance to talk about the news, David. I have a little follow-up news. Okay. Again, more news about the IRS and IDME. Oh, IDME. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this. So this was an article um, in Business Insider. Basically, to summarize this, a privacy expert has looked at the privacy docs. Of IDME? Of IDME. Ultimately, they a little bit are more loosey-goosey with what they capture and how willing they are to share it with other government agencies. So it uses, they call it liveness detection on the pictures and compares it with information from telecommunication networks, credit card bureaus, financial institutions, and other sources. And then they do voice prints, location data, postal addresses, social security numbers. So they're storing all this stuff in a database. Now, where people are really concerned about this, because there's a law on the books that says the Homeland Security Department can't go just pulling up IRS tax records. Yeah. But because technically this is not part of the tax process. It's not part of the treasury, not part of the IRS. This is just an identification prior to actually doing anything. Exactly. They're saying that it leaves the door wide open for other uh, agencies to use this. So it just continues, which is good, right? Like that means watchdog groups, people are out there protecting us as citizens. My suspicion is that this gets scaled way back or pulled back. Republicans have introduced a bill in Congress to stop the IRS from using facial recognition technology because of privacy concerns, which are legitimate. You have this company that's not government, a private company contracting with government agencies to do facial recognition to prove identity. But then my question is, if you, if you aren't comfortable with that, how do you solve this identity theft problem that the IRS has been having for years? Because we don't have a national ID system in this country. So your social security number and your income on your tax return is how you verify your identity with the IRS, because how else can they do it? They don't have an ID database to pull from. So we have to use these third-party companies or 
it's just going to be really easy for fraudsters to continue to steal our information and get our tax forms and then commit fraud using all that information. So what's the solution here? And then it also grades those areas, right, where at some level, the IRS just cares that you pay your taxes. You could be a criminal. You could be, yeah. I'm here illegally in the country and file your taxes, you pay your taxes. The IRS doesn't care. But as soon as you start uploading your ID information, that puts you at risk for lack of a better word. So, you know, the, things just keep getting worse for the IRS, right? Everybody complains about everything they try to do. They try to do something innovative, like protect our identities with facial recognition technology, which is, you know, it's a noble effort. They're trying to do what they can. They don't have the resources to build it themselves. So they contract with a third party and that gets shut down. There's an article in accounting today about how they're adding 1,200 employees to their roles to navigate what will become one of the most challenging tax filing seasons in years. You know how much that is in, in comparison to their overall workforce? It's a 1.6% increase. They still haven't gotten that $80 billion that we kept talking about. There's no plan from the leadership in accounting to address this issue long term. The only thing that we can seem to agree on is that the IRS should stop notices and stop these you know, automated uh, actions against taxpayers because they can't keep up with the influx of info. But that doesn't solve the problem long term. The IRS budget has been shrinking for a decade. Their employment roles have been shrinking for a decade. And the number of tax returns and their responsibilities have been increasing. And then everybody's complaining. You see articles in TPA trend lines like headline, what is the IRS hiding? And the author dreams up this dashboard where we could see all of the information that we need, like the number of returns received in the current season, the number of returns remaining from the year before, or maybe individuals could look and see whether their return has been received or whether it's on a desk or in the back of a shipping container, have more visibility. But then we don't fund the IRS to give them the technology that they need. You know, like one employee for every 17,000 phone calls is something I heard. And aren't they shifting people around? There's a big reshuffle, like, we're going to take these bodies from over here and move them over here. <laughs> yeah, like, not, like, not, not sure that actually solves anything. No, it doesn't solve anything. It's all meaningless. We're talking, they need massive, massive changes there. And you can't just say that it's mismanagement. When you look at how many employees they have versus the job they have to do, like I said, you know, one employee for tens of thousands of phone calls, you think they're going to be able to answer the phone? $80 billion, they can't pay people more like, hey, CPA students, we'll pay you this much to come work for us. You don't have to work 55 hours a week. We guarantee you only work 40. I don't know how they solve this. There's zero leadership saying like, here's, here's how we fix this long term. It's become political. And it's no win, right? Because if you fix it and the IRS is super great, you're going to be damned by people that don't want to pay. <laughs> well, and what's going to happen is audits are going to go up, right? Yes. Yes. If you truly fix this. So then people are unhappy because they're getting audited. I, I think we talked about this in our predictions episode. Like, is this the year the IRS really breaks? Like, like it's I mean, it's right already broken. Edge. It is broken right now. Something major is going to either go wrong or it's going to have to be addressed. At a, <laughs> this could be like the election, the way that determine the winner of the election. There's going to be a point if 2023 comes and people still don't have their 2020 refunds or their 2020 returns done. Yeah. Like people are going to start losing their minds. Yeah. Nobody wants to take responsibility for fixing this thing. You know, Congress wants to blame the IRS. The IRS kind of blames Congress, right, for not having the funding. AICPA doesn't have a plan. Well, they give them a little pats on the back like, oh, that's a positive step. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually say things like that about their decision to reassign people in the IRS. Oh, a positive step. All right. I think it's enough of that. Uh, not, right. uh, time for another listener message. This one is about remote testing. We had a story recently about how Prometric is allowing people to take tests at home. And the experiences have not been great, apparently. Here's one. 
Hello Blake, I actually listened to your most recent CAP episode today and want to mention that I also took a Prometric test at home in April 2021. I want to add that it was a terrible experience. I actually failed the exam and I'm pretty sure it was due to the added stress of taking the exam in what was was supposed to be the comfort of my own home. Next time I will go to a testing center. I almost feel like Prometric is making this stressful to discourage remote test taking. If that is part of their ploy with the remote test option, it definitely worked with me. Regards, Joel. You have been warned. Thank you, Joel, for letting our listeners know it was not good. And I think another listener wrote to us and said, it's because they, they make you like show your camera everywhere in the room and then undress in front of the camera and... Undress, Jesus. Hashtag yeah. <laughs> <start your> account. <laughs> you know how like at the testing center, you have to pull your pockets out and show the you know, inside of your pockets. Like imagine having to do that on a webcam. It's like, you feel like you're an only Hashtag accountant. Yeah. Hashtag account. You feel like you're an accountant of Instagram, not an accountant of LinkedIn. But the opposite, because you're paying. You're paying. <laughs> All right. I got one more. We might as well get this done, right? Last listener message. I was browsing a community college course list for classes. I was waffling between a language class or some kind of shop trade class because I'm basically a shop ape pretending to be a CPA. All these trade departments have work-study for college credit. Computer science, welding, machine shop, nursing. They all have it. 75 hours paid equals one unit. I browse over to accounting. Nothing. Thank you, Eric, for that message. That was an email from Eric, a CPA, who uh, was responding to our discussion of why don't accountants get work-study credit? Why can't you go work at a firm and get real-life experience instead of studying for another year in college to get 150 hours? It's ridiculous to me that you can't. Why not? Why not give people credit for learning on the job? So thanks for that, Eric. Uh, apparently, you know, a mechanic can do it, but we can't. So where do you want to go? App news? Yeah, let's jump into app news. All right. The, the follow-up I wanted to say was, and this is related to app news, is... Kronos, the, the fallout is still continuing from that ultimate Kronos group ransomware attack. There was a story in NBC News, February 1st, about how Coca-Cola delivery drivers are still not getting paid their full amount. So Kronos says it did resolve the issue on January 22nd, but the Teamsters Local 135 in Indianapolis says the vast majority of the roughly 200 Coca-Cola consolidated employees he represents are still owed pay. Some are still owed as high as $4,700. Wow. That's a lot of money if you're a delivery driver, a lot of money. What the companies did is they just kept paying people like what they were making before and they were going to true it up later. Just a mess. So that is finally the working its way out. The way that was caused is they hacked in. Yeah, yeah. It was ransomware. Chances on. are ransomware, it was because of phishing. They probably got fished. Somebody at the company got fished, opened the wrong email, downloaded the wrong attachment, et cetera. Well, they get the credentials, they log in, they plant the ransomware, yeah. So th this is an article on Bleeping Computer. Intuitus came out with official warning. People are sending out phishing emails. Uh, and this happens all the time for Intuit, but these are really uh, some new ones. And they're really targeting the ProConnect people. So this is your, your, your tax side of the business, not the QuickBooks side. The email basically says, we've temporarily disabled your account due to inactivity. It is compulsory that you restore your access within the next 24 hours. So obviously it comes through, it looks like a very urgent message. There's always a photo of it when they do these things. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to click the link and then you're compromised. Then it's downhill from there. You know, wait till your account gets disabled, then do things. <laughs> Don't click on warnings. 
I'd work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't get disabled, that shows you that email was fake. Um, And then always check those addresses. Look, um, And then I think what's really popular that a lot of people do is, I'll see this on Facebook and the social channels, people will, before they click on it, they screenshot the email and be like, anybody else get this email? Does it smell fishy? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, even Ask. legit ones, right? And yeah, yeah. Check with your community, see who else got it before you just uh, click on that and mm-hmm. make sure your staff is not clicking on these. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. For those listeners that haven't been following along with my drama caused by PNC when they purchased BBVA and botched the migration, to quickly summarize, PNC bank feeds wouldn't work with QuickBooks Online. The website had all my old BBV transactions just listed as debits and credits with no vendors or payees. And to top it all off, the June bank statement was just missing, like June never happened. Let's just say my 2021 books were a mess. So for 2022, I made the commitment to stop using PNC and switch everything to Relay. Relay is a no-fee online banking platform built for you and your small business clients. Relay understands and solves all the things we as accountants and bookkeepers care about. Security, bank feeds, automation, reconciliation. I invited both my interns to my Relay account. They created their own user ideas and passwords, and within minutes, they were using Relay to create virtual debit cards, physical debit cards, download statements, and reconciling. Now, the bank feeds on my QuickBooks Online are reliable, and my 2022 books are in order. To stop fighting with an unreliable bank that doesn't care about you or your small business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. ZeroCon was originally scheduled for May of this year in New Orleans. It has now been postponed to August, late August in New Orleans. August 24th and 25th. I wonder if anyone at Zero has ever been to New Orleans in August. I just want to ask. I asked Zero why they decided to postpone. In their press release, they said, quote, our decision to postpone the event aligns with our hashtag human value of keeping our Zero community safe. All this changing of the dates, everything else we know and love about ZeroCon will stay the same, yada, yada. So I, I want to know, what do you mean keeping safe? Because Everything I have seen says that the current COVID wave is going to recede dramatically by March and it won't, like the risk will be very, very low. So it's not that. Zero got back to me and said it's because they have Canadian partners and this is a North American event. And it's not a US. Okay, it makes sense. They are concerned that the Canadians won't be able to get here or travel here. So blame Canada. That's why ZeroCon has been rescheduled for August in New Orleans. It's very humid in New Orleans in August. It's also hurricane season. So we'll see. I, I mean, I'm still going to go because I love ZeroCon, but a little little regretful about that. Well, it'll be interesting because um, just looking at accountingconferences.com, May was crazy. There's a conference every single week and ZeroCon was in the middle of that, really from like May 1st until um, Scaling New Heights in June. Yeah. There was a conference, I think, every week for six straight weeks. But now in August, this is the only conference in August. I'm kind of glad. everybody a breath, that, yeah. right? It was going to be too crazy. Rumor still has it. QuickBooks Connect is going to be an in-person conference this year. No dates on that. But historically, that's always been kind of that first week in November. Mm-hmm. But obviously now, it's hopefully it's not August 24th or 25th, right? <laughs> it doesn't show up then. Hey, speaking of Zero, Kerry Goman, who was president of Zero US, has been named the new chief executive officer and member of the board of directors at Abacus Next, the hosting company. You may remember, David, I think I talked about this years ago. 
Abacus Next had an invite-only conference. It seemed like they were inspired yeah, I was a bit. To go. <laughs> yeah, but it was great because I was like, it's not um, like I, I can't. Cause I think they, they're trying to get influencers too. And I was like, I can't get behind a, a hosting company. I just can't do it. Sorry. And I didn't go and I turned down the free laptop or whatever else they had. Like, I was just like, sorry. So I was living in LA at the time. So I went because it was all expenses paid and it was in like La Jolla. It was beautiful. Next door to you, basically. Yeah. Next I just drove down and got a, got a weekend in La Jolla. But it was a little strange at that time because they basically sat us in a room for like all day long and just like, it was a bunch of journalists and quote unquote accounting influencers. And they just pitched us on Abacus Next. They're a hosting company and they do some amazing things. Like it's full service hosting, which I really believe in. Like if you're going to use hosting, use something where they've got people on the team who are monitoring all of the uh, hacking attempts and who can like act as your IT team. They do full service in that respect. So you're not just buying hosting, you're also buying an IT service, uh, managed service provider kind of thing. So anyway, that'll be interesting to see where they they take it. I think they must be doing well if Carrie's joining the team. Or they have some plans or they're doing something yeah. in the future. I mean, her background, she was at Intuit. She did stint at Intuit. She did yeah. a stint at obviously Zero. She was the North America VP, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then she she was North America president of Zero. And then I think she's done some investing and she's been an advisor for a bunch of cloud apps. She's a VC too, yeah. To me, I just my initial reaction when I saw that headline was like, oh, that's kind of odd. It's a still a big business. Still, yeah, absolutely. All these hosting you know things are still big business. Because every single accounting firm has to have hosting because the tax software isn't in the cloud. Yeah. What are you going to do if your tax software is, has to be hosted? So they're on the, the legal side of the fence as well. There's still yeah. a lot of people still using hosted desktop legal software. And what they've been doing is smart. They're kind of like right networks where they've been buying apps and integrating those apps deeply into a tech stack that they can then sell you on a hosted managed service environment. But different. They've been buying desktop companies and rolling them to their thing. Yeah. Right now, Works keeps buying cloud-based companies because I think they're trying to build a new thing. Yeah, they're and trying to be the, the cloud connector. Penny Lane, the accounting SaaS, like the pilot of France, I guess is how I would describe them. They've raised $57 million in a Series B. We covered their Series A a year or two ago. Sequoia Capital is in on this one. So they're getting a lot of money to do what you know Pilot's doing in Europe, which is what I initially thought, that they were going to be like Pilot. But it looks like they've pivoted. Because the article in TechCrunch is all about how they work with accounting firms. So remember how Botkeeper was originally going directly to small businesses and was competing with accounting firms? Yep. And then after a few years, they decided maybe that's not such a good idea and we should partner with accounting firms. This looks like exactly the same story. And they now claim to work with 300 accounting firms that are using PennyLane as their software stack. Penny Lane, quote, wants to overhaul tools like Cegid, uh, C-E-G-I-D, I don't know that one, and Sage, and modernize the tech stack of accounting firms. So that's what they seem like to me is, is they've pivoted. Here's a quote from the CEO, Arthur Waller. Nine months ago, 90% of our clients reached out to us directly and 10% of them became clients through accounting firms. Nine months later, that trend has changed. 81% of our clients come from accounting firms. While the startup didn't want to share revenue numbers, the CEO said that they've been growing 20% month over month since this summer. Since 2020, Penny Lane has raised a total of $96 million. And they think that they have a lot of opportunity because in France, there are 12,000 accounting firms. Today, they work with 300. Their goal is in four to five years that they work with 1.5 million small and medium companies. I think this is ultimately where Pilot's going to go because I think they're going to find out 
as Botkeeper did, that working directly with small businesses, it's really, really hard to scale a business fast. You're not going to get 20% month over month growth. You're going to get 20% annual growth. Unless you just stay in that, we're only going to do tech startups, like your formula, right? Which is like, okay, they have payroll, no expenses, and they have bank feeds and now that's it. And they stay on that because a lot of those startups, as soon as they go IPO or they take that march, they're going to have to get off of that and move to yeah. probably Sage Intact. That's been our observation. Sage Intact or move to uh, NetSuite, right? Even then, even if you are totally niched, I don't think that you can get the growth you need because you still have to have a lot of people and the human relationships that you have to have as a, an accounting firm, you can't automate that yet. I can use AI to create voices from text when people send us emails, I cannot use AI to recreate the human experience of talking to your bookkeeper, or working with your accountant. And that's what these tech companies are figuring out. Yeah. And so they realize it's actually better to work with accountants to scale because then they build the software, we provide the service, everybody wins. Service plus software, nobody's figured out how to do that yet, I don't think, to scale it fast anyway. And it's funny because everybody thinks they're going to be the one that does this. Yeah. Lendio, who's a loan player. So it's business finances. They have slowly been on the march of building accounting software. And so they have this product called Sunrise. It's their free bookkeeping product that they offer. Well, they added some tools to this and had a press release. So they added Tax Assist, which essentially it's a depreciation calculator and a tax checklist. They've added a bank reconciliation too, which is essentially once you once you read through it, it's bank feeds. They've added bank feed matching. Um, and then they've offered uh, invoices. So you can use your own logo, provide discounts, auto-calculate. But the real thing is if you go out to uh, Sunrise App's website, yes, it is free self-service. It's almost merchant service, right? You can sign up for that. But if you want bank feeds, now you're paying the $20 a month, right? But if mm -hmm. you scroll down on their page, oh, you can add a bookkeeper on. Hmm. It's volume-based on 120 transactions, 150 bucks a month, 200 transactions, 299 a month, 500 transactions a month, $500 a month. Who's providing the bookkeeping? Are they doing it themselves? Or are they? It's not clear uh, on that. This is Len Lendio? Lendio is the loan company and then their- Sunrise. Sunriseapp.com is their accounting app. They're, they've been working on a bookkeeping service. So everybody keeps marching into this space more and more. Yeah, I wonder who's doing this. I mean, it, it makes... They probably purchased a bookkeeping firm. So to me, it makes sense to kind of offer as like a side thing. You buy a bookkeeping firm, you offer bookkeeping as part of your software package, like go sign up for this because it keeps people on your app. It's like providing enhanced customer support, but it's not the main way you grow. David, we've got just two minutes left before my son is going to barge in here because I told him at 10 a.m. we would go to the farmer's market. I know what you could do to keep him busy for two minutes. What's that? You could send him to the Surgent website and he can sign up and he can play this Surgent video game called Max Max the Tax. Surgent CPE, Max the Tax. What is it? It's a short online-based game and a course you could do and you'll get CPE credit. Huh. You get to play the role of the IRS agent and interview taxpayers and adjust the returns based on their answers. And you'll get a quality score based on the interview and the adjustments you make, and then you get your CP credit. Now, what was interesting about this, and full circle to the IRS and the lack of people, do you ever see in the 80s, there was a movie called The, the Last Starfighter? The Last Starfighter. So to summarize, there was this video game. It was like a spaceship flying thing. If you finished to the end, the aliens came out of outer space and took you, and then you became like the fighter pilot for... You know, the Alliance, I don't know, I'm just making that part up. Mm -hmm. But it was like the video game was the test. So now I'm thinking, oh, actually, if you're good at this video game, 
they should sell this data to the IRS. Like, hey, this guy's really good at pretending to be an IRS agent. The IRS could come and pluck you if you do really good at this video game. That's just my idea. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, well, you know, there's that, um, what was that book, Ender's Game? They made it into a, a movie? Yes. And And basically it was like, the game was designed to produce the future generals of their space army. So they recruited yes, all these. Yes, exactly. Kind of the, yes, yes. Similar vibe, similar vibe. That's what the IRS needs. They need to create, but don't make this like something you have to pay for. Put it up for free on the app store and then get all these kids playing it and answering tax questions. And that's how you recruit them. That's how you solve the problem at the IRS. Flash video game. By the way, this does look kind of like a flash game. If anyone's ever played one of those, like, you know. <laughs> it won't work on your iPad probably, yeah. I doubt it. We'll see. We'll see. That's, really that's I'm done. I'm done. You can have the farmer's market unless you have something else to close this out. No, you know, I'm just going to go enjoy the beautiful weather here in Arizona because it's February and, and we're not in the snow and uh, I got I to gotta enjoy it while I can. Hopefully there won't be any D- wind. We've had so much wind this week. It's been relentless. David, if listeners want to go after you online, where should they find you? I'm at David Leary. Very easy to find on all the socials. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You are welcome to at me there or... Send me an email with your voice memo or just your email uh, about anything that we have discussed on the show, anything else that's interesting in the accounting world. I'd love to hear more timesheet stories. Tell me about how timesheets uh, have you know, made your life unpleasant or, or people lying on timesheets because I want to dispel this, this myth. I want to s- compile these all into like a coffee table book and send them to Ed Mendlowitz. <laughs> and I need your help to do that because I only have one right now and I need more. So I know they're out there. I have my own. So I would like you to please contribute your timesheet stories. Send them to me, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. If you send me one, then I'll give you a, an NFT copy of it. <laughs> I'll send you a digital copy when I finally make it, I promise. Yeah, that's it uh, for this, this episode. Thanks, thanks everyone for listening. And David, have a great week. See you here. Beautiful. Thank you. Time for the classifieds. Do you dream of starting a bookkeeping business, but you don't know where to start? Join the Bookkeeping Biz Workshops, a four-day live workshop series hosted by Serena Shoup, CPA. You'll learn where to start, what it takes, what tech to use, how to build a business, not a job, plus how to get comfortable on discovery calls. The workshops begin February 23rd, so register today at bkworkshops.online. That is bkworkshops.online. As humans, we're programmed from birth to learn watching others. Video has the power to engage, entertain, and educate without ever feeling like work. When you want to become a QuickBooks Online expert in the shortest amount of time, the Royal Wise on-demand web-based learning solutions are the obvious answer. With 40 easy-to-understand QuickBooks classes designed to bolster your confidence and increase your accuracy, Elisa Katz-Pollock's training will take you from beginner to advanced user. Pick just the topics you need or save money by subscribing to their entire QuickBooks online library and coaching program for one low monthly price. Listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast can enjoy their first month of silver membership for only $1 using promo code PODCAST. So head over to learn.royalwise.com. That's royal like a king and wise like an owl. Register for a QuickBooks class, become a member for just a dollar, and make learning a hoot. That's learn.royalwise.com. Hey podcast listeners, it's Blake and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants, 
by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.